0: Her name is Tita, and she lives in Guatemala City. This is a picture of her. Uh, It's hard to tell there, but she's about this tall and about this wide. (laughs) But she's a modern-day hero. Real, what I would call human love, didn't visit her early in her story. She got a deprivation of love, but God came in and overcame her with His love. She was rescued and began to be changed by God. And when you're changed by God, you cannot hang on to his love. It has to pour out of you. And she became intensely concerned about people living in the barrios of Guatemala City. There's one that's called La Limonada. It is the most dangerous in the whole city. Twelve zones, each zone is ruled by a different gang. And she had a heart that the church could be planted in that space. Uh, Her church where she attended, which was outside the barrios, said, don't go there. Those aren't good people. They were afraid to go into that place, but she had a heart for those people. She tried to plan a church, but she realized the systemic evil was so deep that it was impossible for her to lead adults, and she came up with a plan. She calls it the bridge that if you begin with children and change their lives, something will happen that will change the community. And she began going in by herself with a bag full of lunches and she started gathering children around her. And she realized that a sandwich and lunch was not enough and even hearing about God, so she began putting together a school. And 20 years ago, she birthed the first school. In the midst of the most difficult place you can imagine are these buildings of bright color that are places of hope and kids are having an opportunity to come out. Now, 20 years later, there are four schools in four of the zones and they're ready to build the fifth one. This is a woman who did this against all odds. How did she do it? She did it with hugs. She simply went in as the presence of God and she did it with power because she would pray for God's intervention. The gangs would come to her at different times and they'd put a gun to her head and say, you need to leave here or you need to give us money. And she would look at him and say, I know where I'm going. You can go ahead and kill me, but you better know where you're going before you kill me. And they'd start shaking and leave. She was the presence of God in that place. There's been lots of disappointment. The reason I'm telling you this story is that Ralph Schoenrock and I were with her for three days this week. Walking in those barrios. Everywhere we would go, someone would grab her, and she would put a hug on them and begin praying. But we came up to these two boys, and it was obvious to us by the smell around that they were playing with marijuana. Amazing disappointment. This is one of the boys who was coming through the school. That's not going to lead him anywhere good, marijuana. Yet he was dabbling. There was no sense of judgment whatsoever in Tita. She went up to him. He tried to hide himself by putting his hat down. She turned his hat around and gave him a big hug. She keeps being the presence of God. In spite of everything that would say quit, she lives out the truth that God is a God of love. And having been touched by God's love, she continues to make the right decisions to pass that love on. I'm sure there are days that Tita wakes up and thinks, I don't want to go in there. Maybe I'll just take a day off. But God has so radicalized her life that she has to do the right thing. This summer, we're in the middle of a series, and I felt privileged to experience Tita this week because we begin a new story. We've been talking about this idea that God's telling a story, and the question is, are we going to play off the script that God has given us, or are we going to create our own script? Remember, we started with Jonah. Jonah, this prophet through his life, shows us how not to live. Uh, he was the male representative in this story. Then we looked at stories that Jesus told. They're his parables that talk us about us being saturated with God's love, And now we come to a living gospel story in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the story that's named Ruth, but really Ruth isn't the primary hero hero in this story. The hero is Naomi. Naomi makes decisions in the middle of bitterness that end up not only changing her life and changing her daughter-in-law's life, but have effect in our lives today. So for the four next, uh, four next weeks, we're going to be looking at that, and today we begin with Naomi. Now, you saw, we only read to verse 14, because I want Naomi to have her space. Naomi's story is simply this, darkness is a hard taskmaster, but it doesn't have to have the last word in our lives. Light can win out. So let's go to the text, and we'll set it up for where we're going for these next four weeks Beginning in verse 1 of uh, Ruth, uh, chapter 1, you may want to follow in your Bibles. I'm just going to go verse by verse so that we get the elements of the story. Verse 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. In the days when judges ruled. Now, judges don't think of judges like we do. We think of somebody sitting behind a bench. This is a technical Hebrew word to refer to leaders. Uh, The people have come out of slavery in Egypt. They've now crossed over into the promised land, and they're starting to settle in. And leaders are assigned to help them continue to live God's way, the way Moses has given it to them. And they don't do a very good job. Uh, Just to kind of highlight this aspect again, of all the judges, there's only one who really shines. Her name is Deborah. So I just want to say something that kind of comes out of this book that I've recommended you read, The Gospel of Ruth. If you don't think the Bible is a woman's book, you're reading it with the wrong lens. Because we've just come through the book of Judges, and the real, really the only hero in the book, the one who has absolute integrity, is Deborah. And now we're going to get a story where the women are the one that shine. And all of a sudden, we see that there's this chaos in the land, and we're going to see that chaos visits every aspect of Naomi's life. There was a famine in the land. It's a rain-dependent place. There's no food. A man from Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn. Bethlehem means house of bread. Do you hear the irony of this? There's a famine in the land. He's living in the house of bread, and they need to go someplace to find bread. And the Hebrew word for sojourn means it's going to be temporary. In their eyes, they're just going for a while so they can get back home. If you've ever had a conversation of most uh, immigrants, people that are part of the diaspora of this world, their intent is to someday get home. Most people don't go because they want to. There's something that happens in where the places where they live, and they have to care for their families, and so they go. And the desire is that someday w- they will go back. And they go to Moab. This is a place of foreigners. Uh, this is a place that had a lot of border skirmishes with uh, the people of God. Um, I'm going to give you one more commercial for this book, The Gospel of Ruth by Carolyn Curtis James this book has opened my eyes to see something that I haven't seen in over 30 years of reading the Bible. And Nathan, you can borrow my copy if you need it. <laughs> that wasn't part of the script. But in this story, she reminds us of all the trouble that you have when you go to another place. Those of you who have lived in another context, you know this. Language barriers, cultural gaffes, uh, bouts of homesickness and depression. You never feel like you're really one of the people. The systems are set up to jerk you around in all different places. Uh, If you've never lived internationally, you don't know what that's like. It's tough. There were times when we lived in Mali when a plane would fly overhead and we would both start crying because we wanted to be on that plane not where we were. And here's Elimelech and his wife and two sons, the scriptures say, in a foreign land, trying to make it happen. Verse 2, "'The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there.'" Now, there could be a lot of study done on the meaning of their names. Elimenek could probably mean the king is my God or Yahweh is my God. And Naomi, interestingly, the root of her name is liveliness, delight, pleasant, and lovely. So I want you to see this as an ordinary family. These are good people. They're doing all the right things. They're people like you and I. They have the same emotions, the same feelings, the same aspirations for life. I hope you'll get back to the story in that place. These are real good people. Verse 3, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. You've lost home, all the things that are your support system, and now your husband tragically dies. The Hebrew writer is giving us something here when he says, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, Men weren't identified by who they were married to. Women were identified by who they were married to. See, we could pass over this line really quickly, but the Hebrew writer is telling you I'm going to tell you a story of the woman who is the hero. And they remained there. Remember, the word was they sojourned. See, this is what what they were expecting. Verse 4, "'These two took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Oprah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband.'" The story's really sinking now. Ten years, she didn't have her husband, but she at least had the care of her sons. It was pretty lonely. We need to understand, in that society, women had no place, no covering without male family. I can't dig a deep enough of a hole for you this morning. I almost want to just say amen and let you hold on to this for all week long. We know the gospel and we know the end of the story. But I want you to feel the pain of Naomi's life. Here's a confession for you from me. I've never seen Naomi in all the years I've read the Bible. Ruth has always been my hero. And then Boaz sweeps in as the kinsman redeemer. I gave Ruth her place because she takes a lot of risk of faith. But to be honest with you, I never saw Naomi in the past. She was just scenery in the story for me. It was this book when I began to read and I began to see the story from Naomi's perspective. I I don't dwell with pain long, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. My type is called the enthusiast. It's not even that the uh, cup is half full, the cup is overflowing for me all the time. And I have the delight of knowing the gospel story that God redeems all things, but I don't sit with pain very long. I don't even honor it in my own life. I'm moving on to the next space. And as I heard the story this week, I heard God saying to me, will you just sit with Naomi for a while? Then he gave me the privilege of walking through some of the most hopeless settings in the barrios of Guatemala City to recognize how real it is. Unexplainable pain. No, Naomi didn't do anything to deserve this. Eugene Peterson says this life of faith does not exempt us from trouble. Curtis in her book calls Naomi the female Job of the Bible. what does she do? Hear it now. Verse 6, She rose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. And she set out from that place where she was with her two daughter-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. In her deepest pain, she takes initiative. She's not going to get stuck there verse 8 but naomi said to her daughter-in-law go return each of you to your mother's house she never intended for them to go with her she's doing this quickly so they won't have time to think about it she goes on to explain to them to the reason why is that there will not be a kinsman redeemer that will come from her family line that will care for them they are going to be alone they are not going to be covered go back to your own people She's blessing them in this moment. She's taking an act of love and sacrificing her own comfort that she would have companions on the trip so that they would find what they would need. And then she blesses them. Listen to this. Verse 8. Return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. May he has said you with his loving kindness. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grant you that you find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, no, we will return with you uh, to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. And again, turn back, my daughters. Her act of love is to release them. And then finally, at the end, verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. What's my so what this morning? I really don't know. I'm still tempted to leave you going home just thinking about Naomi all week. But I do want to honor all of the people, especially women who have stood silently and unnoticed in history as bearers of the covenant of God so that others would get there. The titas of this world the Naomi's of this world. See, Naomi's being set up by the biblical writers is the opposite of what the judges were. Under these, the leadership of these great men, there was chaos, but a woman steps up and becomes the covenant bearer for people who would never have known him. And I hate to get to the punchline so early, But she ends up being the one who invites Ruth in, and you will know that Ruth becomes part of the Messianic line that will give us our Savior. There's a story that God is telling in the pain of Naomi's life that's unbelievable. And the story is written from a woman's point of view. Even God remains in the shadows throughout the story. He's sovereign in all of it, but you don't see Him showing up in obvious ways. It's like I say to you often, God is always present, but he's not always obvious. And he's mostly seen not in how he breaks in in miracle, he's mostly seen in how this woman loves sacrificially. God's presence gets revealed through this woman. Maybe this is the now what or the so what? I don't even know where I'm at right now. You know, I, I'm just trying to sit with Naomi for a while. The text says that life dealt her bitterness. In fact, she ex- says it in this uh, declaration, God has dealt bitterly with me. When she returns to her own people, they're excited to see her. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mata for my life has turned bitter. But there is nothing in the bitterness of her response. She's not bitter at God because she blesses her daughter's-in-law with a blessing from God. She doesn't turn her bitterness out on others. She becomes the avenue for others to experience the presence of God. You see, in Naomi's story, darkness does not win in the end because she knows her covenant Loving God, don't let darkness win in the end of your lives. Listen, darkness is going to visit every one of us. We live in a broken world and pain is going to come our way. If I don't have pain in my life, then I have an obligation to walk with people that do have pain because that's the calling of the gospel. So there should be some pain in our lives somewhere. And Naomi's life is a testimony to the fact that God's way can be found in the midst of pain. My last day in Guatemala City, we walked through different places with Tita and we prayed for people. Prayed for a little boy, Eric, whose ears were stopped up. He couldn't hear. Wanted to see God open those ears up. They're not open yet, but I'm going to continue praying for Eric. Little Sylvia, in a home where she's forgotten all day long, walking the streets. A family, the man's name is Otto, brings her in every day so she gets food. He lives in the barrio himself. He's a gang, former gang member who came to Christ. Through Tito's influence, he started his own shoe company so he can make money and he takes most of the profits. He feeds his family, of course, but he takes most of the profits to help gang members get jobs and come out and find Christ. And he feeds all of these kids in the barrio. Uh, This is an example of the type of shoes that he makes. They're brilliant. I actually bought these for Lance because he likes shoes more than anybody in our church. And this morning while we were praying, I thought, you know what? The reason I bought these shoes were for Lance, but for for to tell you the story of Otto. Otto's son at age 20 went into the gang, even though he had been rescued from the gang. Took a bullet that hit his spine. Otto's in a wheelchair for seven years. Bed sores completely open all over his body. It took that to change his heart. He knows Jesus. His spirit is alive, but his body is rotting away in ways that are unimaginable. But when I walked into Otto's house, there was nothing of darkness there. could have been bitter because his life has dealt him a lot of bitterness but i see gospel hope gospel hope as i spoke to his 27 year old son who's in the wheelchair and got to pray for him his name is Christian I said, what do you want me to pray for? And he says, just thank God that my family's well. And I said to him, well, in Philippians 4, it says, yes, that we are to pray on a foundation of thanksgiving, but what do you want me to pray for for you? And he said, well, if God wants to heal me, that would be great. Bitterness. Darkness does not get the last word if the people of light decide to shine as light in the midst of the darkness. Amen.